Brewery DB and Good Beer Matters have partnered to share the education and stories of craft and culture found in every glass. Brewery DB is the largest curated source of brewery knowledge and serves to connect craft beer lovers like yourself to your next brewery experience. Expand your knowledge of brews and create personalized brewery routes in your own neighborhood and nationwide. Visit BreweryDB.com today and be the first to explore this all-new experience. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. I'm bringing up faults in this beer that I'm finding, and he's like, you've just ruined my entire experience. What we're really asking people to do is just experience the world in greater depth or just pay attention more. That's a lovely thing to bring to the ch our children in our lives, right? To just say, how are you experiencing this? You're never wrong with your painting or your picture. It's you. Many of us often struggle with how to describe the overall experience of flavor, aroma, and mouthfeel. But what if we could come up with better descriptors as well as a work of art worthy of using as a label on a bottle in one fell swoop? My next guests have innovated and integrated this new approach and are here to share it with you. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I have also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe. And one thing is certain, the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There's a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 104 of Good Beer Matters with Veronica Vega of Deschutes Brewery and Patrick Ruder of Domino Wines. Thank you so much for coming on to the Good Beer Matters podcast. I mean, this um, when when I first saw Veronica, when I first um, saw you in, in, in Austin and you were giving this uh, talk about shape tasting, I was thinking, what in the world is that? And, and, um, and I realized uh, you were talking about a problem that that really most of us acknowledge only when it's kind of pointed out that um, the difficulty we have. And um, and so I'm really I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, Patrick, you are the uh, innovator of this uh, new technique. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to diving that. First of all, thank you for coming on to the the Good Beer Matters podcast. Great to be here. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, Thank you so much. Can, can we start uh, just with, you know, simple, simple logistics? Um, uh, and Veronica, I'll ask you to start first, but uh, who are you and what do you do? Um, so, yeah, I'm Veronica Vega. I work at Deschutes Brewery, uh, creating new beers to for our future beer launches. So I'm director of product development. I've been here for about 16 years and I've worked through in production in our um, pub brewery building recipes and so now I work kind of in between that brewing and marketing just putting together new products for the future but also a part of our sensory panel where um, and I've been a part of the panel for uh, gosh almost as long as I've been here I would say probably 13 years on the panel and so that's my interest in um, shape tasting along with 
just um, I also love doing art. And so meeting Patrick and um, getting to bring this over to the beer side was really, really exciting for me. That's cool. Uh, Patrick, who are you and what do you do? Well, I am the owner and winemaker, along with my wife, of Dominio Floor Wines in uh, Carlson, Oregon. And I've been making wine, you know, on and off. Well, actually just on for about 25 years. Um, different countries around the world, but mainly in Oregon, exploring uh, varieties like Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Viognier, Tempranillo, some uh, lovely grapes to work with. And... Um, just tasting along with uh, trying to evolve the brand into um, better and better and more expressive wines of the place. And, and I, I do have to say, I, I am, uh, I don't always drink beer, my friends. Um, uh, when I have wine, I am particularly in love with the uh, Spanish iterations of wine, uh, and especially even more particularly uh, those that are coming out of Oregon, ironically. Um, the Tempranillo, the uh, Viognier, I, don't, I guess that's not really Spanish, but uh, those are some of my favorite wines to drink when I'm not drinking beer. Excellent. Well, we'd love to have you anytime we can sit down and drink more Spanish wines together. Well, absolutely. Uh, especially, uh, I still have, actually, Veronica, you, you probably had your hand on this one. Um, I still have in my quote-unquote beer cellar a, uh, a Deschutes uh, dissident aged in Tempranillo barrels, if I remember that correctly. But that's, that's to me, that was just a coup de grace. I'm saving that for a very, very special occasion. Oh, very fun. Yeah. yeah I mean, over the years, we've... we've, we've typically have um, several projects that we're utilizing wine barrels and w whether it's beer wine hybrids or those types of beers um, they're they're always fun and exciting to explore new flavors in, in uh, those capacities which it, it kind of speaks to the idea that you don't have to plant your to use the phrase I used earlier, to plant your flag on one side or the other. I mean, we we know mm -hmm. we we know that we all partake in equal uh, shares of of what's available to us. We all we know that craft beer drinkers also drink wine and spirits and all this other stuff. And and it, and really, what it comes down to is not necessarily beer, even though this is the Good Beer Matters podcast. It's it should be the good flavor matters. It, I mean, when we talk about mm -hmm. flavors and the experience and what comes out of it, um, I. I find that particularly uh, motivating and, and the kind of the purpose behind all of the stuff. So uh, I, I love that we have both beer and wine here together mm -hmm. talking about the same thing. Totally. Yes. Um, and friends too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause, <laughs> cause, cause we're, we're all going to drink each other's stuff. I mean, that's just, that's just being neighborly. Right. You know, so, right. Um, yeah. but uh, to kind of kick this off or kind of kick <clears throat> off this conversation about tasting um, about the flavors, whether it's beer, whether it's wine, uh, you know, f I've spent um, a fair amount of time um, diving into the, the deeper reaches of the, of the beer sphere. And, and what I'm, I'm learning is most people can taste things. I mean, we all have a genetic uh, um, predilection to being a better taster or not, or tasting this and not. And, and, and that's something that we can't really control. But for the most part, people are good tasters. We've been tasting all of our life. It's kind of like saying, well, I'm not a good walker. Well, you've been walking almost your entire life. Mm -hmm. and, and and so really what it comes down to from my experience is 
is knowing what you're looking for when you're tasting something, and most particularly, the vocabulary. It's people don't have the vocabulary to describe what they're tasting. What What's your experience? What do you make of that? Um, yeah, I agree. And it's the, it's the vocabulary and then it's the confidence even to say it out loud. Um, and, and just thinking like how people gain confidence, they're always wanting to know when I talk to others that might be having a hard time getting the words out, they want to know if they're right, because that's what confidence is, right? You try something, you were right. You try it again. You were right. Now you're confident. Um, and we don't have that in sensory that, that much because it's like, it, 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 you might be on the right track. You might have most people tasting a certain thing. And so that's that's as close as we get to right when it comes to just describing flavor. When we're talking about off flavors that we can actually quantify, you know, in the lab, then there are some right answers there. But when you're just kind of in dialogue, people don't have the vocabulary and the confidence to to, to speak through. So they, they'll hang back. Right. And. and and wait for the experts to say something and then and then it'll it'll trigger something in memory or whatever experience. And I said, Yeah, I get that too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I definitely get that peach and tobacco. I yeah, I I'm yeah, I must have a good palate like the the professional up there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I often find that just um in my own tasting and sensory work, uh triangulation where I've I've not quite nailed it down, but if I can get like maybe three or four different um, descriptors around what I'm, t- what I'm kind of sensing or tasting. It really helps me, you know, if I'm not just right, you know, it's, I'm going for coriander, but coriander is not right there. And so I'm yeah. kind of like, I'm kind of, you know, dancing around it and get three or four, even though I'm, that isn't exactly what the descriptor should be, but it, it gets me in the neighborhood. And I think that's good enough for a lot of time, you know, just being in the right neighborhood, not exactly being, spot on with oh this is the chemical formulation and this is the this is the um signature that we're looking for um aromatically it's it's better just to have fun a little bit with it and and kind of triangulate and say oh is it what is it here we're playing with well and and that's that's a a perfect yeah that's a perfect example of why i love talking to patrick because i'm like there's always takeaways like that's great (laughs) i'm going to bring triangulation back to my neck when i can't spot something (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and, well, and that's great because, um, you know, when you, when you talk to uh, an, a, like a, a, an average drinker, an average beer drinker, for example, and you say, oh, what does the IPA taste like? And commonly you'll get something like, oh, it's very citrusy. Well, mm-hmm. that, that, that's great. Tell me more. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I, I've been of the brainwashing um, that we need to know, okay, well, what kind of citrus? Well, I'm getting uh, Meyer lemon and I'm getting navel orange. Well, what part of the orange? I'm getting the flesh, the pith, or the zest. And is it ripe? Is it underripe? Is it overripe? Mm. Um, to try and be as specific as possible. Um, it, but there's a there's kind of a bell curve there. I mean, there's a diminishing return. At some point, you can get just really absurd with that. It's like I, I'm I'm tasting um, uh, two day old lychee on a uh, on a rainy winter day, uh, you know, um, uh, just a couple blocks from Pike Place Market. You know, it's it's like at some point you're like, okay, come on, man, you're you're just making stuff up now. Um, yeah, but but you're that, romancing. Yeah, you're you're romancing it. I mean, there's you know, uh, your you know, rainbows and unicorn farts only only tell you so much about what something tastes like and. And, um, but, but we are trying to be as specific as possible. Um, but when you get to the point of saying, uh, like coriander, you know, I mean, you brought up coriander, 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people may have experienced coriander before or cardamom, but how do you describe those flavors to someone who's, who's, who doesn't know what they taste like? Mm, exactly. And that, yeah, that's because, so yeah, interesting to me. Experienced it. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, when I think of cardamom, I, if someone, if I, if I try and describe cardamom to someone, I'm thinking, well, uh, have you ever had fruity pebble cereal? To me, that tastes like cardamom or, <laughs> or, um, but I mean, you, you get the idea. We're trying to relate it to yeah. something else, but what if someone's never had fruity pebble? So, so again, we <laughs> kind of have this vocabulary experience, um, ledge that we're hanging on to for dear life when we try to describe flavor. But if someone's doesn't have that vocabulary, that experience, it just becomes, um, you be kind of get stalemated in, in the conversation, right? Yeah. I think that's a great point that what we're really asking people to do is just experience the world in greater depth or just, or pay attention more, you know, because we've all had a rotten pineapple or we've all had a green pineapple and, and, to just identify that in, let's say, you know, a beverage and an IPA, we just have to pay attention more to our, what the experience of living is and categorize those things and say, aha, uh -huh, oh, that's really interesting. Ripe pineapple has this sort of character and I can see that now in other things, but I guess what we're asking people to do is just pay attention a little bit. You know, <laughs> It's fun to pay attention. It's an awesome thing. We're in this world to, um, with so many senses and so much to um, to really explore, it's a it's a nice question to to pose to people. Hey, why don't yeah. we pay attention? Yeah, totally, totally. And like, and also allowing for uh, different flavors to be described through those different experiences, right? So, mm. uh, like, I, I think I brought up like the like freshly opened tennis balls type of descriptor yes. for, you know, that yeah. was like yes. thrown out in, in the song uh, documentary. And like that narrows it down from an experience standpoint to someone who has played tennis and someone who has popped open one of those. There are folks that have never experienced that, but what is the, what does that flavor? They have other experiences mm -hmm. that could bring descriptors. And so that we could all be right. And it's richer when we share what those different experiences are and how they relate to flavor. You know, and, and, and thank you. You're, you're segueing to the very next uh, kind of point I wanted to um, get to is now we're talking about a kind of a cultural, uh, maybe even economic experience. I mean, I know what freshly opened tennis balls smells like because I've experienced that. But mm -hmm. what if you live somewhere where there wasn't a tennis court for a hundred miles or, or, you know, uh, I think I had a conversation with uh, uh, Dr. J once talking about um, um, like fresh hay. I mean, if you've if you've lived in a city your entire life, you probably don't know what fresh hay is or flip that over. Right. You don't know what the like a, the, like the dank, dirty smell after a rain in, in a downtown urban city smells like mm -hmm. unless you've experienced that. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we and we could expand that further on, you know, it, to all sorts of things, but what, how much does culture and economic status and, and any of these limiting factors um, play into experiencing a Roman flavor? Human beings have used the power of storytelling for millennia. We use stories to educate, motivate, and inspire others to lead better lives. If you're a business in the beer industry, we can use the power of story to better serve your customers. 
At Mountain Sea Media, I help you tell your story and keep your brand on top of mind. Mountain Sea Media is your resource for engaging multimedia beer content. Contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com to discuss your next project. After all, it's your story. I'll help you tell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think- Hmm. Go ahead, Patrick. Go ahead. No, no, I'm super curious to see like what, what you're gonna say. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say that you were right. You know, it's like about your own environment and relating these things to your own environment and um, cultural um, experiences have, uh, you know, a lot to do with that. Of course, we we are we know what we know, right? Because of where we are, and I think that's something else else to encourage is just that um, relationship to what you've experienced. So I, I think that would be just fascinating to be in a tasting with somebody or somebody reach over and say, Oh, here, try this beer. It's, it's got, you know, it's got um, what I think about of, of, you know, fresh oils being washed off the sidewalk in, um, in springtime in, in New York city. I'm like, Oh, that's super cool. I want to think about that for a second. You know? So yeah, I just think that uh, I, I think that diversity, that cultural diversity actually can, um, can really benefit us all, you know? Yeah, and I think that makes me think of how we have set up our sensory panel because, like, if you think of, if it was only maybe the brewing and quality team, that already, just saying it's the brewing quality team, limits the experience of mm. folks in the room mm-hmm. and their, you know, language and all that. There's going to be majorities there. Um, and luckily, um, Amanda, our sensory um, manager, is she's brilliant. I have to give her props. Um, but one thing she's always done is that goes out to the whole company and we go through training, but like when we sit together and go through those trainings, that's when it is interesting to say like, all right, someone who is from San Francisco, who is now a tasting room employee and is, you know, becoming trained in sensory, they have different descriptors than the ones that we have been using for the last 10 years. And it just opens up your mind, just even like talking to Patrick in a different, you know, fermented, you know, like space. (laughs) He's going to have different descriptors because um, whether I like it or not, I fall into my uh, comfort zone right of citrus <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not not digging further but like setting up a panel and making it inviting um you know um at least a big a bigger um portion of, of the company population but but like we're still still limiting that because we know that even just who works at a brewery that's also a very pretty narrow demographic as well so um i think the more conversations we have about flavor and with you know different people the richer our vocabulary will will be and and hopefully to taste different things to travel as much as one can Uh, you know one of my pet peeves kind of on the same thing is is in the last few years, um, we've had all these hops come out that are described as dank. And I absolutely hate that word dank because <laughs> to me, that describes some some like marijuana, which I don't like that smell. Um, it smells like um, cannabis and and something kind of rotting in the corner or like pulling that, uh, <laughs> pulling that lettuce out of uh, the back of your fridge and you like realize, oh, I should have thrown that out a week ago. To me, that's dank. But the aroma and flavor I get out of these hops and all these beers that everyone's putting out, to me, it smells just like going to like the Oregon coast and just smelling that 
all the uh, the plants and the earth right after it rained. To me, that mm-hmm. that's the same aroma. So, but it's not coastal wet earth. It's it's you know dank, and so it's. Uh, it, yeah. I I think having that um, having that uh, ability to experience different things, and Patrick, to your point, to be mindful, to experience it, to think about it, to sit with it, and come up with these things is is to me is endlessly fascinating. But it's not it's not fascinating to everyone so how- yeah and we did like think about like how we talk to our kids about food and flavor like we just ask them if it's yummy or not or yeah. if it's yucky. you know we're we're not like building that like um capacity to to experience i mean i think that's a lovely thing to bring to the ch- our children in our lives right to just say you know, how are you experiencing this? Like, we'd have to phrase it in a lot more fun way. But like, you know, being able to describe and pay attention, I think that's a lovely thing to start early. I I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, uh, Veronica, you and I have talked, you're a mom, I'm a dad. And to try and share this experience um, with with our kids. I'm sorry, Patrick, I don't know your, if you have kids or not. Forgive me to, yeah, for discluding you. But the yeah, that's a great point. The way that we bring our kids up through this, um, with, basically with the work I do, I mean, my, I'm trying to teach my children the difference between savory and salty, and 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 understanding how to discuss it. But this is you know, this is not the usual situation. So it, basically, it all kind of comes down to that there is kind of an inherent problem with our respective industries as far as how we describe, how we convey uh, a specific flavor and aroma experience. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think even in the wine industry, I think it's, you know, kind of classically known as coming up with these really um, out there kind of descriptions of wine. And, and I think it's pretty... It, alienating for a lot of people when you boil it down and you say this is in the wine and you have a a, a little short description of uh, the wine characteristics and and people look at it and often think like your comment veronica is like they have they lack the confidence in it to know that they, that's what they're tasting or to relate to that flavor in the wine so they it's it sort of poses a barrier for them it's it's alienating for them and it's a turnoff to to to, I would, frankly, I would be turned off too if I read a description of a wine that got a certain amount of points or a beer that scored really highly, and then I couldn't relate at all to what the words were telling me because I just, I just didn't have that experience in life. Um, to be able to relate some of the things that we taste in or smell in a normal world in a beer, that's a, that's a trick that um, I think takes a little. Sometimes we forget. It takes a little yeah. bit to remember that we're actually pulling things out of a medium that it's not its primary source. It's a secondary, mm-hmm. or, you know, and it's com- complex with a lot of other flavors and aromas. And, and so, yeah, I think it is a little bit of a problem. We need to sort of focus on other ways of engaging people in that tasting experience um, that aren't alienate, alienating. Yeah. And I think I'll add just on the brewing side, the challenge that we I, I, like, I don't know. Um, folks have identified this, and I pick up on it for sure. Is it's different in wine in that I think on the sensory side for beer, once you start like learning things like diacetyl and DMS and these kind of like off flavors, 
you almost like nerd mm. out so much that you're like that becomes language that comes across the bar <laughs> you uh -huh. know and actually <laughs> like with friends and like and and, and then it kind of ruins beer i mean like i've definitely had that experience like with um bringing those uh to to like conversations with my with my partner you know where i'm like we're we're out in a setting where we're just trying to enjoy things and i'm bringing up faults in this beer that I'm finding. And he's like, you've just ruined my entire experience. And, um, and I think that happens in the beer industry, like, you know, folks that just get really excited about the science and the background of it, then bring those descriptors into just the overall enjoyment with friends. And, and it's like, um, maybe it's a confidence thing, because you're like, I know this, and I want to share this because um, it's part of my passion but like um you know i think moving outside of like the the off flavors and the science behind it and like i think that's where the wine industry does a really good job like the winemakers know what's off but they're not transferring that information across the bar per well, se well and there's there's a couple issues there that i've experienced you know i've been guilty of and i've seen other people do it both <laughs> in beer and wine is one is if you detect diacetyl in one sample of beer, then you have a greater likelihood of detecting diacetyl in the subsequent samples of of beer. Um, you know, uh, you know, just like as soon as you get one flavor and it comes across your palate, now you're like on the lookout for it. Um, right. And the other thing I've experienced too is, and I've I've been guilty of it, is you kind of find these default words. I've I've heard. Uh, um, people in the wine industry just kind of rely on on um, on tobacco and earth and uh, mushroom and allspice. Uh, and I've heard people in the brew industry, myself especially, uh, it's bready, caramel, dark dried fruits, um, citrus, uh, and and all the, and 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 every hazy IPA. Oh, there's pineapple and mango and papaya. You know, it, it's it's almost like we've learned to say some um, um, fancy words but we're not connecting with the experience like we once did uh, because we have this vocabulary. So now we're resting too, too much on the vocabulary. And so there's, yeah. so there needs to be a different mm -hmm. way to, to uh, develop a relationship with the, with a liquid and a different way to communicate because um, sometimes I've, I've noticed for me that, you know, the verbal communication is failing. Mm -hmm. And hence, enter shape tasting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> nice segue. Well, it's it just that, that this is why I was so fascinated by the topic because I've been suspecting, you know, there's, there's, it's not a perfect system, but I didn't know what was. But I know that I can listen to a song and it can communicate something very, very deep to me. But, you know, I have no idea what what it said it, it it's a completely different way of communicating when you uh showed us shape tasting in a different way to describe the experience without words without this vocabulary without all the holes in the system i thought well wow maybe this is a way to share this experience in a in a way that is um can bypass the problems that we have yeah i think even culturally we seem to be Kind of moving more to a visual format in the <clears throat> rather than a language based i mean we have a lot of you know instagram and kids aren't reading as much and we have i listen to so many podcasts that it makes me 
happy just to have different ways of, of learning. I think this is another one of those examples. Culturally, we're kind of moving that way. Well, um, so tell me what is shape tasting and Patrick, how did you create it? Um, I think initially my brain is just wired kind of strangely. So it comes out of a, a different, I grew up dyslexic. I'm still dyslexic, but, um, I think it, it kind of comes out of a, just a, a way the brain sort of tries to process information is actually the very first time I tasted a kind of a high end Bordeaux, I think it was 19 years old. And um, I didn't have any language to describe it, so I drew a graph. Oh wow! And over the intensity, and I didn't think about that experience for a very long time. You know, like 15 years later, I was like, "Oh yeah, I do remember." That's how the first experience was, and I think um, one of the initial parts about shape tasting is recognizing that time is actually the structure. I mean, we're we're great time based beings, but if you think about your experience in in uh, relationship to time, I think a lot of people think about a beer or a sensory um, experience as a block, as a kind of a unit. It has these components in the unit, and when you when you deconstruct that a bit and say, okay, let's let's try to place where those those things are over time. So this is zero is the initial starting point and and then we move maybe it's 30 seconds maybe it's you know we're still having sensory experience for a minute um and we can then we can start breaking apart the time units to say what's happening in the first two or three seconds what's happening in the mid and then some of the language that we use naturally starts happening to uh starts making more sense like the mid palette or the finish or the approach some of these words that, <clears throat> excuse me, that we naturally use um, are kind of time-based words. So I think that's the first structure is the x-axis. It's got to be time. And um, I think that's the initial starting point for me, at least with shape tasting, is breaking that time out. And then you go into sort of elements or symbols. So um, sort of round shapes are things that are associated with fruits or sweetness or things in the world that kind of, you, it's really hard to think of uh, a fruit that's not round, you know, in some way, even a banana, if you slice it, it's round. Uh, I mean, in, in beer, we have the same sort of things as wine. We have these, these, these elements of sweetness or roundness or, um, uh, and whether they're associated with, um, unfermentable sugars or residual sugars or things that, you know, the chemistry will belie. I, I think we still all sense that sort of round shape as, as associated with sugar. And then you, you can break it down in wine. For example, we have the acidity is a pretty big thing with same with beer, you know, and that's sort of this traveling agent, this, this line that pulls you further along. It's like an arrow. It's so you, you can start, saying okay well i start this beer with a really round shape but then i move into more of an acid base shape like so the mid palate seems to be more acid and beer you have all these fascinating things with, with carbonation you know and you have mm -hmm. uh, and you have these sort of bitter elements that are that are really um you play with in big ways you know with with hops and 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 those bitter agents and elements come up in different parts and, you know, you can either finish really 
heavy with that or or put it in a different part of the palette and and that that shape is a really interesting shape to me too in in my mind it's kind of looks like a um like a really prickly letter k you know it, it it has these sorts of like spikes that come out of it and and it it seems very um distinct um and yeah that was super fun to like take the shapes that you had already started out with and then add those okay well hops obviously aren't in wine so we need to find a shape for hops and bitterness um and yeah we've moved yeah that k that kind of asterisk because even on some in some beers the bitterness doesn't isn't all just forward it's backwards too and so in some cases that prickle is going in both directions and in some cases it is more like a k where there's kind of a starting point of bitterness kind of a that's where that like harder line might be uh-huh. and then you're moving it it's more of a forward flavor Mm-hmm. So this is uh, really fascinating, and, and I'm I'm seeing some um, connections here that a lot of the stuff seems to be inherently intuitive. Because um, some some time ago, I had a conversation with Dr. Charles Spence. He wrote a book called Gastrophysics. Uh, it's one of the episodes on the podcast. Uh, but he, he uh, in this book, it was really fascinating about how food and flavor and aroma really connects to our brain and how we can affect each other. And, and when, and he's talking about how, when you look at labels, if they have something that's like red and like a star or like a sharp type of, um, image, then that, uh, kind of denotes that it's, it's going to be prickly or bitter. And when you have something a little bit more round with, with less resistance, it's going to be a smoother and, um, and just even talking about the shape of plates, the color of plates and, 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 and all this sort of stuff that, uh, all this stuff kind of affects how we approach it. You guys seem to be approaching it uh, from a, a different way of saying, this is what I'm experiencing, but you're using a lot of the same iconography that, that he was using in, in, in his studies of gastrophysics. Are, are you aware of his work? I am not. This No, that's fascinating. I mean, I think, um, I mean, it's just, I'm just the type of person that loves to learn the science behind things that just feel right, you know, and that's like, when you think of shape tasting, it just felt right that fruit and the sugars and in beer, the malt flavor is round, right? Yes. But Mm. you're talking about why, why does that feel right? (laughs) There's even Mm. another question, right? It's just layers and layers of curiosity, which is awesome and and also the the time that patrick brings up right like how often do we sit with a flavor and allow that like experience to us to uh, allow us to be curious about that experience over time and like just be present there without like multitasking or doing anything you know it's really hard to do um and so i think for some of those workshops just being able to get some brewers in a room to be quiet and like (laughs) with the beer in front of them and and be able to describe it with the shapes over time it was just a really really cool way to spend our time together yeah mm. yeah well and i bring up that uh, just to show that there is some like scientific 
background behind all the stuff. And and if if you're not aware of, of Veronica as as well as I know you, I think you'd be really really into this. So I mm-hmm. urge you to check it out. But but so let let's go back to that that brewers meeting when you're all sitting around, you know, trying to get the brewers to be quiet and taste their beer, and then start drawing on a piece of paper. How did that come about? Uh, well, I have to give credit to Thomas Buttle. So he was um, a brewer um, with us around 2017. And so he invited Patrick out. We were in uh, the, the top floor of the pub and we just spread out, brought a bunch of colored pencils and paper. And um, I, I want to say selected maybe six or seven beers to um, shape taste. And Patrick started out by just giving us background Um you know, talking through, um, I mean, yeah, a lot of fascinating information. Um, like even I, I remember Patrick, like you bringing like, I don't know why this sticks in my memory, but there was like a, like a, a metal ball (laughs) (laughs) and you're, we're like passing it around. We're like feeling it's cold, heavy round, you know, and it's just like getting us out of just, um, it's the multi-sensory experience, right? It's not just, flavor and then you speak it you know it's like all right what does it feel like you know um so anyways starting from all that fascinating dialogue then we started going into tasting through some of our beers and so we started as as you mostly do in sensory with our light beers like we tasted pacific wonderland we went through um our our darker beers obsidian stout we did a beer called sage fight which was an incredibly flavor it's like an imperial ipa with sage and, and hops so that was an incredible uh, beer it allowed for a lot of colors and spikes and you know and, and fun on, on, on that so um that was like the first time we sat together and then we sat together again to really finalize those beer specific shapes um so we were like, all right, we love we love this. We do want to bring it into the brewery and um, make it a practice of ours. So how do we bring in those beer-specific shapes? So that was like round two. And then the third significant thing we did was that we all collaborated on a label. And Patrick, you've done this for your labels, so we were inspired by that. Um, but we kind of all tasted a sour beer, which... Um, you know, had a lot of complex fruit notes. There you have the acid to to be able to describe. Um, and we created that together. So that was pretty fun. Yeah, that was really fun. We have that in the tasting room on the shelf, that label. <laughs> so this this seems like this could be an experience you offer to the general public uh, for a fee. I mean, uh, people will come in and do like paint and drink wine. Why not, you know, drink wine or beer and paint what you're tasting yeah didn't haven't you done this like with even like maybe distributors or that sort of thing um i thought i saw something like that online capture that you've had groups come in yeah we do that you know it kind of um yeah it takes it into a different realm for people and and we do that with distributors we've done it with clients um with with uh wine club members just put on a little i mean it's kind of intensive but it's fun it's it's really fun to get you got to get all the pieces there and the paper and the um and the pastels and colors and and go through the whole thing that people really engage with it and some people i mean it's immediate like like you veronica is just kind of like it intuitively makes sense immediately and they're like oh mm-hmm. well that's that that's obviously that one and that one mm-hmm. is this one you know and i'm actually looking at those 
those drawings from that day, Veronica, I'm at stage fight right now. I'm looking yeah. at cheap tasting. Yeah, and, um, and all those photos I'm gonna I'm gonna post uh, on the show notes for this just so people can see what it is we're talking about. Because I mean, you know, just listening to us talk about this, it's like, oh wow, cool. But you got to see this. You got to see how this works. It's interesting. But the the question I have is, what if you know, what, what if you have someone who's just not particularly artistic or doesn't really think that way, or or I, I'm kind of artsy, but you get me to try and draw something, and and that's that's my Achilles heel. How does this work for those people? Well, I, I think it's it's kind of wrapped up in this idea of synesthesia as well, that um, people have this kind of cross-modal experience, what they call, like where you start, you know, seeing, well, you start identifying colors with shapes. That's kind of like crossing over what you normally think of how you interact with the world. And that takes, um, that either takes like that artistic sensibility or luckily for us in some of the literature you see, um, alcohol actually helps that, <laughs> that association come about. So, <laughs> well, I speak fluent Spanish when I'm when I'm drunk, so you know that makes perfect sense. <laughs> you should see me dance. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a. I think that's a. It does work actually. People loosen up a little bit, and they've had their first, you know, experience. You might have to work through the first drawing, where it's not really people. Uh, it, it's not firing with them right away, but they, they do sort of move into it. We have done whole dinners um, where we bring in a chef and uh, we pair the wines, draw the wines, but draw the food and the wines together and go through um, those associations with people, which is, which is really fun. Really fun. Oh my gosh, that sounds so fun! Uh, I know. Yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of geeking out just like thinking about how how does that work? Oh my gosh! It, just to walk away from that experience, just like mind blown. It's wow. Um, yeah, that, we got to yeah. put that on the list. Um, I, well, yeah, I would add that I really value my favorite part about doing this with others who, especially those who are like uh, afraid on the art piece um is that like what you're trying to accomplish isn't like a piece of art that you're going to put on your wall of course some of these are i mean patrick's are beautiful so gorgeous <laughs> that i can put them on my wall but like that's not the goal it's more like when you get that person who might not be like excited about what they drew when you get them to hold it up and describe the flavor of the beer or the wine using the shapes as like their guide then that's like when they start lighting up and they're like, you know, <laughs> it's really, really cool to see because it's less about the, 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 the paper, what's on the paper. It's more about being able to describe it in a way that is um, multi-sensory. And, and yeah, you nailed it. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that's a really great, I think I saw that on one of those uh, Deschutes tastings that we had where um, it was a tool and and you could see the brewers starting to talk about something and say, saying to each other things like, see, this is what I was saying about X. You see it right here? This is why I think we should do this. And then they start talking about production methods wow. to achieve something different because we need to take care of this right here. And then that, that sort of becomes a, a tool for the discussion. Yeah, and 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 a clarifying comparison it seems too and 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 do you guys find that when you have a group of people like veronica you had all the brewers together basically drawing their experience of the same beer do you find that those images that they come up with are fairly similar within reason 
Um, I mean, there are themes. Um, and so I think when we like that example of doing that cultural diversity label, um, if if I just if we didn't have that dialogue, then those themes wouldn't bubble up as as firmly as they did. So if I just looked at all the pictures, there is going to be definitely some differences mm. and it'd be hard to like kind of consolidate that into like a collaborative piece of art. Right. Yeah. But when we all talked through it, then I took notes and ensured I captured the themes that we were talking about flavor wise. And then, you know, brought in a lot of the different aspects that were unique from um, people's drawings as well. Interesting. And and so to kind of go back to what we talked about before with the 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 current common way that we try to describe flavor and the flaws that are inherent within that system, how does shape tasting help you kind of circumvent some of those problems that we have? I mean, I think on the beer side, uh, it gets us out of our box. Like you were describing how IPAs, you know, mango, tropical, da da da. Like, if sometimes I am asked to like write copy or like write a blog post or you know, and and you get bored with yourself almost like using the same word. <laughs> okay, good. It's not just me. <laughs> no, and so, so this is a way to kind of like break out of that. It's almost like a creative, you know, like icebreaker. <laughs> so it it it, it, it has benefited at least me personally on that. Um, but also just from note taking to be able to reference notes that mean a lot more to me now um, than before when I just used words. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I, so I, I'm going to, so Patrick, you, you described that, uh, that you've grew up dyslexic. I, I think I had a, uh, an auditory processing an undiagnosed auditory processing thing. I remember there were a hundred million times in high school and college, the teacher would say something, I'm trying to write down the notes and like halfway through what I'm writing down, I just lost what they said. It, it just like, uh -huh. there, there is no retrieval. It's just gone. And so all I could do is move on and do the best I could. Um, but when I found that I organized my notes into like sections and instead of trying to write down what they said, like write down words or even draw something or, or find a different way to do that, I did much better in my note taking. Um, oh. And, and uh, so I, I'm, you know, this, this conversation kind of reminded me of that where, you know, whether we're getting bored with it's, it's bready, it's caramel, it's citrusy, um, it, you know, to break out of our box to be able to show a visual representation and have a conversation of that about process, about trying to tap into a different part of our brain or just flat out. It's like, you know, something new and exciting to try. Um, it seems like there's a lot of different benefits to changing the way that we think or tapping into a different part of our brain to get more out of our communication. Yeah. I think that the, I mean, Veronica, you're kind of bringing up the idea of, of memory and being able to, you know, have this sort of look at a picture and recall what what the experience was about. Mm -hmm. I think that is a, a really big benefit of, of using uh, the spatial visual kind of way of tasting. And if you think about it, um, our our acuity as humans for visual uh, perception is very high. Right. We are we're beings where we're relied on visual and spatial things like our memories are really good often about, you know, well, I went and I picked that fruit at that bush at this location 
And I think that was the most delicious thing. So I'm going to remember exactly where that, or, um, you know, my uncle died buying, uh, eating that fruit over there. So I'm going to also remember spatially, I think we just have this really underutilized, um, capacity as humans to spatially organize things in, and, and this is kind of taking advantage of that. This is sort of cluing it a little bit into that. I mean, we could go even deeper into three dimensional, um, where you add a Z axis into this too. And then you get a real blowing up of, of spatial yeah. sort of organization of it. But it, I mean, for, for now, the two dimension does still, I think, um, convey more memory and more information. And, 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 and if we don't want to go that far, we could just keep it on the surface level of Patrick. If I were to drink your wine, I want it out of one of those nice goblet glasses, not out of a red party cup. The, it, your wine is probably going to taste the same. I'm still going to get that wine to my mouth, but I'd rather drink it out of that beautiful glass than that red party cup. Why? Because the aesthetics of it, the shape of it, there's, there's something a little bit more compelling. There's a, it's, it's the same story, but one story is better told than the other is the best way mm-hmm. I could describe that. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, so if, if anyone's out there listening, that's like, oh my gosh, we need this. How could they implement something like this? How could they, you know, learn this and and start using it? I think Veronica's made a great, um, description of what, what happened in, in their organization is they took, uh, the process, which can be, you know, easily learned within five or 10 minutes and then applied it to what, what's going on. Like they had to come up with new symbols and that made sense for beer. Like there's, you know, just like different things that happen in beer, carbonation and hops and, and kind of a background matrix that, that is different. And so they come up with symbols that mean something to them and then implement it, you know, and, 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 uh, uh I think it's, why oh God, there was somebody in, New Zealand, I was, I was uh, on the internet and I, it was like 2011 and I came up with this image and I was like, Oh, this is a Pinot Noir. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really remember drawing that one. <laughs> and, um, and then I was like, wow, this is somebody in New Zealand drawing this and it looks really similar. It's amazing. It's, oh, wow. it's a Pinot Noir. <laughs> I had never talked to that person and they did a fantastic job. So I don't think it's really, too difficult. I mean, if you need some of the conceptions, like the y-axis is sort of like breadth or how wide things feel in your mouth, or um, you can also look at it from the images from above and imagine your tongue and the outsides being things that happen on the outsides of your tongue and the right side being what happens in the back of your, of your back of your tongue. So there's ways to think about it and and you can be creative and imaginative and, and put things in that make sense to you. It, it's kind of like two musicians who have never met each other. You know, they pick a rhythm, they pick a key and just go. And, yeah. and if they're, if they're good at what they do, then they can come up with something really interesting and, and, and just being able to use that as a medium of communication. I, I find this endlessly fascinating. Yeah, you brought up the key, right? So we just had those shapes in front of us. So people are kind of using the same key. And then yeah. the, the setup that Patrick described, once you have that, then, um, you know, the rest comes. And it's like, we, we started pretty small. 
And there really hasn't been a group that we haven't like hasn't seen a lot of value or taken a lot from getting together and shape tasting through um, some beers. So it's it's super fun. What is the best thing that's come out of using shape tasting or, you know, kind of using this as a, as a new technique? Um, I mean, I guess I, I could speak on the beer side is just it's such a unique way to engage um, with different groups in our like value network. Like, for example, um, someone um, had recently seen that that presentation here in the organization. They're like, hey, I'm going to onboard these new agency groups. We're going to have an interagency group. And it would be awesome if you, you know, kicked off our happy hour with like a little bit of shape tasting. So as opposed to just learning about the brewery, our culture, our beers, um, you're bringing them into like taste and experience the beer in a, in a really, really unique way. Um, and so, um, you know, hopefully the, the benefit there is they, they fall in love with us and do great work, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How about you, Patrick? Well, I think it's for me. It's a it's connecting with people, um, you know, clients that that really sort of get a better, deeper understanding of the wines, and they they um, we have a series called the Imagination Series. So we're on like label, I think we're on label forty eight or thirty eight, somewhere around there. Where it's just each time we come out with a new wine, I paint the label. And it re- reflects what's in the bottle, and people look forward to those wines. They know they want. I'm becoming more of a painter than a winemaker here recently. But, <laughs> um, I think I think it's just nice to find ways to connect with your uh, your consumers, your clients, your, and have it be a non-threatening. I mean, if you can present it in a way, it's a very inclusive. Like you're never wrong with your painting or your picture. It's you. So. Nobody can tell you that that's not what you're seeing. It's like that's and and, and that's that feels good. You know, I I think that's the thing that's come out of it. Nice. Um, for the sake of time and being respectful of your guys' time, um, I'm going to start with some close-up questions, and we can finish up with anything else you guys want to say about uh, shape tasting. Um, but uh, tomorrow, I'm going to wave my magic mash paddle, and uh, Patrick, you get to be king of the wine world for a day, and Veronica, you get to be queen of the beer world for a day. What's the first thing you two would change? Oh, my gosh. that's a, You mean about the whole industry? <laughs> The entire world, Veronica. The world. What's the first thing you change? Um, I mean, gosh, when Patrick said connecting with people, it's like, I, I just, like, I think it's not, what am I trying to say? Uh, we, yeah, we haven't brought up the pandemic, so we have to. It's like the final minute. We have to bring it up. But, like, we need to connect more. Wait, what? what pandemic? What are you talking about? <laughs> Just kidding. You need to connect more person to person, yeah. like, you know, getting back to the farms, um, just, you know, slowing down and connecting to people um, on a deeper level is what is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at high level like that, but that's what I would change mm-hmm. because I got a reaction right when like Patrick <laughs> said that I was like, it was a yearning, you know, like a feeling mm. of yearning and I'm like, well, yeah. if I'm feeling that, then it's obviously missing. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'd I'd like to just make more channels open for those little things like the the 
cultural diversity project and all the things actually Veronica you're doing is like especially um small production stuff and and craft brewers and people who are just exploring new and interesting but very quality driven ways you know it's like sometimes new and innovative um is great but if it doesn't taste good sometimes you know, mm-hmm. there's 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 i love that um ex- exploration that spirit of going forward and trying to create something new that's just going to blow people away and it's beautiful and and um and then having those channels available for those for those sorts of expressions um i think it's it's like seeing some um languages in the world go away just it's just not spoken anymore it's those mm-hmm. that yeah. sort of thing yeah interesting well uh and uh, kind of in a in a different mode. So your day of being the king and queen is, is up, but now we're going to send you out right. to a, a culture that is it's just kind of devoid of anything interesting. Um, and, and we're sending you out as ambassadors to, um, to develop a new beer culture and a new wine culture. Um, what beer style, what wine varietal and what kind of food would you use as a foundation to, to kind of recolonize this, this new culture. I, I mean, my immediate, my immediate thought was it just, it just feels like it has to be an IPA <laughs> because <laughs> a citrusy it's so, one. like you're like craft beer, you know, like then you, you do have to talk about hops and you do have to, cause they're front and center in that beer. Um, it's harder to talk about hops in a beer like a Pilsner, even though they are very much there um, as a new experience. It's just a flavor like explosion right and so you can talk about a lot of different facets of flavor with an ipa and it it, like we can't deny that ipa has completely revolutionized the the craft beer you know um it still is it's still pushing innovation um and um so i I just have to go with my gut feeling that's what it that's what it was perfect what what Mm -hmm. about a kind of food to go with that what would you use to say this is our starting point? Oh God, food. Um, it, it, it's tough because I, you're like I. Um, it, it leads me to just want to tell you my favorite food. <laughs> that works. And it's not really. It's not really the um, answering the question. You know, because like you're asking specifically, what food would bring people experience and and like um connectivity and like the things that if we're going to like a, a world de- you know, devoid of culture i love that you <laughs> took it to that level i absolutely love that you but you can answer it any way you want i mean it would still be yeah it would still be my favorite fruit i'm gonna go with the taco <laughs> perfect <laughs> uh how about you patrick Oh, I think that, I mean, I would probably be berated by my um, peers in Oregon if I didn't say Pinot Noir, but really what I would say, um, and it is a lovely wine to experience wine because it does have a lot of nuance and you're you're starting from a nuance perspective instead of, you know, what they say is um, Cabernet will knock your socks off, but Pinot Noir will slide them off. That's <laughs> <laughs> that is a fantastic description. Not mine, but it's still funny. Um, but I think the real answer would be, and I think Oregon is is a place where this may happen eventually, but you can see it in Burgundy in France. It's, look at the environment and 
and look at some of the flavors that occur there naturally. You know, like we have this a wonderful amount of just berry fruits that are in the Willamette Valley and in the forests of Oregon, in the Cascade Mountains. And and I think that would be the first thing I would do is look around and say, like, what wines are a great introduction based on what is growing here naturally. And then and the same thing with food. It's like, what what would be culturally a beautiful thing to create? <clears throat> Excuse me. Create here through what foods you naturally eat. And although it may be bland and culturally devoid of everything, but there's still something that you could, you could say this is feels indigenous to it. So those foods that feel indigenous to what's growing in the, in the soils and in the agriculture and the forests and, and just naturally there. Hmm. So tacos. Yeah. So I'm going to say tacos. And too. so, so therefore tacos, <laughs> tacos, tacos and IPA. <laughs> um, how do you both and Patrick, please translate this to wine, but uh, how do you define good beer and why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Such deep questions this morning. <laughs> I know. I, I haven't even had any beer yet. Um, well, gosh, it's hard for me to get beyond um, like the professional side of things. Um, uh, but I will for for a moment and be like, I mean, good at its basic is that um, it hopefully will bring people together. <laughs> There's a reason to drink it with others and um, and that it brings, you know, joy to, to, to that time. Um, it might even connect it to the memory of being together and, um, and the conversation that bubbles up. I mean, I think beer and wine are both, you know, catalysts for that type of gathering thing. Mm-hmm. So that's at a basic level. That's what, that's why, you know, that's what good does. And I think the reasons are obvious. Um, it, it, outside of that, on the technical side, that's just so much more boring because then you're like, oh, you're looking for flaws and, um, you know, you, you want people to feel good. Um, so you don't want things to be like unfermented and all these things. It, I guess it still goes back to the experience. How will they remember it? Um, so <laughs> Feel and, good, taste good, do good. That's and I think that's perfect. I think that's perfect because there's a few flaws, quote unquote, flaws in beer that actually uh, conjure some really good childhood memories. So it's like, well, what you know, is it really yeah. that bad? You know. So, um, how about you, Patrick? How do you define uh, good wine, and why does it matter? Um, I mean, from a, I'll just start from like a, a visual shape tasting. It's, it's like this nexus of all the all the components that make uh, up a good wine in balance. So you have the fruit, but you have the acidity and you have a, a structural tannin and, and the way those things kind of integrate and play together um, is this kind of, we call it sometimes when we get a good wine, you know, a good blending session and we're done, we say, Oh, that's overbalanced. That, that one's just too balanced. It's just, you know, it's, it's kind of a joke about its beauty, but um, I think, that's that's the kind of quality standpoint you start for start mm. from, but I think also that whole feeling of of uh, somebody said it once. Maybe it was Michael Pollan, but maybe he quoted it. It was something like, "It's not only got to it's not got to um, taste good; it's also got to think good." Hmm. So that whole story behind it of like, where are these hops coming from, or where is these what? How are these things grown, and and does that vineyard look? 
beautiful in its um, agricultural state? Is it is it deep ecologically sound? Is it you know sequestering carbon? And are the microbes in the soils growing and uh, thriving? And you know are, are we developing a place on the earth that's also beautiful? And so people can think about the wine and know that it comes from a place of like kind of hard work and beauty and and um and aesthetically a place you'd want to visit as well so that's kind of i, I love, love that you brought up like beauty as being like you know we're not symmetrical beings <laughs> and so we kind of like we do gravitate towards like things being a little off center be like mm. in a in an interesting way something that piques interest yeah mm. Right. Yeah, I love it. I love it all. Uh, well, Veronica, you'll be delighted here. I've got a couple easy questions for you guys now before we close <laughs> out. Um, if anyone's listening that wants to either connect with you guys or learn more about shape tasting, where could they go to uh, find you or look up to shoots and Dominio for? Oh, easy. Yes. Um, our website is Um I don't I think we have a blog post on the cultural diversity piece, um, but I'll let you, Patrick. I know there's been other writers that you've talked to that where um, they've written blogs on um, and really diving deeper on what shape tasting is. But um, thanks for the opportunity to plug. But that's where you could find us, and we have a beer finder. So if there's beers that you want to locate, that's where to go and look, hear more stories, read more stories. I should say. Great. Yeah, you can find it on your shelves in in the anywhere you buy good beer, right? Um, but <laughs> it's gonna be a little bit harder to find Dominio, but uh, you still can. You can go on the internet at uh, dominiowines.com, and there is a uh, a link to a store, so you can buy any of the labels and taste and look and and feel for yourself. We'll deliver it to your door um, happily. Uh, that's the that's one of the good things about the pandemic, I think, is people are much happy, happier uh, having things arrive, presents arrive on the door and say, oh, look what we're having tonight. Yeah. 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 Uh, lastly, do you have any final words you want to share or any calls to action for anyone listening? Okay. Well, I mean... I, 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 if it's the final thing, I definitely am going to skirt that for a second by just thanking Patrick because he's been so generous with sharing this technique. And, and, um, it's also, you know, we talk about diversity and that shows like what neurodiversity brings to conversations and, and, and things like this. And, um, so I, I, I've just been delighted to be a part of what, what, you know, the shape tasting community <laughs> that he started. So, um, just have nothing but gratitude. So thank you, Patrick. Hey, yeah, that's likewise. I mean, I think a lot of people always say, well, you should monetize this. You should, you know, whatever, copyright it. And I'm like, no way. This is, that would be a horrible thing. It's, it, it, I mean, this is the best thing that could happen is more people try to experience things in a deeper way through a different method of understanding. And so I appreciate you, Veronica, for for bringing your team into that and keeping keeping the message going because I think it is an important thing and I so thank you. Yeah, it's like the call to action is like get out of your own little you know place yeah. and talk to others that um, and there's so much that we can learn from each other. 
And I and I am so grateful for the two of you for coming onto the podcast and not only innovating this and expanding it, but kind of but really sharing this this kind of different way of thinking, a different uh, a different approach to solving the communication problem and and the way to connect with people and experiences uh, in a in a in a different way and maybe a more profound way. But um, I thank you very much for for coming on. Well, thank my you. Pleasure. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, was, my, my pleasure. Flavor and aroma are deeply personal and it's dependent on our genetics, our history, and our experience. This innovative way to describe what we perceive can help level the field and bring artistic objectivity to a practice that, frankly, we all have struggled with. Kudos to Patrick and the brewing team at Deschutes for giving tasting shape. In the next episode, we talk to a doctor of a beer about the emerging beer niche that includes NA, CBD, and THC. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. After that, grab a beer, hang out with your friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.